In just a moment, we are going to read the conclusion to the greatest sermon ever given by the smartest man who ever lived, Jesus the Christ, God himself. And so let's, with uh, great awe, uh, come to these words of life. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build the life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. My name is Mark Foster. I'm the founding senior pastor here, and we are in week two of our Vacation Bible School series. This week, we're going to teach our kids that what we build our life on, that foundation matters. It's very important. And so we have to start at the very beginning. Every human on the planet in every time needs to know how to live. Isn't that true? We have to figure it out, well, how are we to live? What do we do? It has never been more desperate than has been today. What foundation will hold us? Here's a good question for you. What are you building your life on? How do you spend your time, your resources, your energy, your thought life? What are you building into your life? Now, Jesus' instructions on this matter are super clear, really clear in this sermon. But the problem is we just don't do it. We don't do what Jesus said, and then our life gets upside down, and we get angry about it, or despondent, or depressed. Now, imagine with me for just a moment that you are so sick. You all remember that very long flu season we had this year? Many of us had the flu. It was terrible. Imagine that you are so sick. You've got fever. You've got chills. Your stomach hurts, but you know you've got to get to the doctor, so you force yourself out of bed. You drive to the doctor at great risk, and you get instructions from the doctor that you never follow. You even receive a prescription that you never fill. That sounds crazy, right? I mean, who would do that? Yet, well-meaning Christians week after week, year after year, hearing, even learning the things that Jesus says will bring us life and peace and love and joy and abundant eternal living now and forever, we don't do it. How can that be? Well, I think it's really about the foundation. It might be, I think it is actually, that we try to add Jesus onto our agenda. We have our life, and we hope that Jesus is going to help us get the next promotion, the next job, make our kids act better, whatever it might be. But we have our life, and we try to throw the rock, who is Jesus, on top of a house of cards. It doesn't work. It never works that way. Jesus is the foundation of which we must build upon, and then life works. You can't have it in reverse. But I think a lot of folks, particularly if we're affluent or in the West, we simply go, here's our life, I want some help with it, so Jesus, come on top of my house of cards. And it collapses, and we don't understand why it doesn't work. And we get frustrated. But Jesus talks really clear about this in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And if you take your sermon notes, uh, 
take those out, we'll get going, and we'll look at the conclusion at chapter 7. Um, after Bible school is over, we're actually going to spend six weeks on this greatest teaching that's ever been given. Um, we'll spend two weeks in chapter 5, two weeks in chapter 6, and two weeks in chapter 7 because it's that important. And it's the very words of Jesus. It's not things that people say about Jesus. It's actually Jesus' own words. And so we need to start there and work there. So first things first, did you know this, that eternity is happening now, whether we like it or not? You are living in your eternity right now. So when you look at infinity, right, you're already on the line. It goes forward, it goes backwards. You are actually a part of Moses' eternity at the moment, right? You think about that. Every person who's ever lived, you're a part of that eternity right now. And you're moving towards something or something else. Every person does all the time. So the big question is, well, what are you becoming? What, what eternity are you working towards? So the context is this, the eternal life that Jesus brings, right? We, we believe in Jesus who comes to give you eternal life. It's available to who? Everyone. It's present right now. So if you're here today and you want to be a part of that eternal kingdom, you can be. It's open to everyone, and it's open right now. And it's not a fire sale, by the way, right? It, it, you, could, you can accept it tomorrow. You know, that Jesus isn't trying to high pressure you, but he is saying this is the reality in which we live. These are the things that will bring you life. And you can do it. And you can do it right now. And it's for you. And it's not just for dying, but for your life right now. For right now. The things that we'll talk about here in just a moment can actually change your life this afternoon, right after church. If, if you act on them. Not if you hear them, but if you act on them. That's what Jesus says. And so what we find is Jesus is finishing this teaching. It's really not so much a sermon as it is a teaching to the uncommitted crowds. What kind of crowds were they? Uncommitted. So if you're a guest with us today, this is a perfect sermon for you. Because these are not disciples that Jesus is talking to, right? It's not Peter, James, and John. He's not taking them up to a mountain. He's not giving them secret wisdom. He's out on a plane, maybe 1,000, 2,000 people out there, and he's talking to people who are thinking, huh, does this rabbi know what he's talking about? Should I listen to him? Should I follow him? Is this the way the world really works? Notice that they're not opponents, Oftentimes, in other places in the Bible, Jesus is speaking over and against the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders. He's not doing that here. And he's also not talking to disciples. So it's not secret instructions to the inner circle. It's, it's not apologetics uh, against those who oppose him. It's simply a core teaching of the way the world is and the way the kingdom is. And you and I get to step into it if we will hear it and act on it. So the metaphor that he uses about building it wasn't uh, anything weird to them. It was something that every person had to do in that time. So in first century Palestine, it was tempting to build during the summer, right? In Oklahoma, would you rather build in June or January? Most of us do, right? The ground is hard. It's hard to break through uh, in the winter, and it's just, you know, it's just terrible. So in, in Jesus' day, you want to build in the summer in a place that's dry during dry season. Uh, you want to build where it's flat, and you want to build in the sand because that's where you can get your tent pegs in, right? I mean, they're building with a pickaxe. They're not, they don't have Caterpillar, right? They don't, they don't have a back-end loader. I mean, they're building in a riverbed probably, right? So here's what the Judean desert looks like. Y'all see any flat spots there? This is right outside Jerusalem. This is where people lived, and they had to find a place to build. And if it was you and your wife and your 18 kids, and you had to build something before the rains came, where would you build? Well, you know, Probably not up here at the top of the mountain because it's rocky. You'll notice in the Bible they always talk about rocky this and rocky that because it's all rocky. It's not the boxer, the, you know, real rocks, right? So here's the thing. 
in the winter, it's going to rain. There's nothing to catch the rain, and it's going to run. You can kind of see the little pattern here. It's going to run all the way down. It's going to flash flood, and it's going to come down here. Oh, isn't that sweet? Look at that flat spot way out here. It's nice and sandy and flat. And if you've got to build something the next three days, that's where you're going. That's the temptation, isn't it? That's exactly where you build. And everybody would fall for that, but not the wise people. Because here's the thing. You've got animals. You've got to feed them. You've got to water them. You don't want to go all the way up to the top of the mountain. You don't want to try to haul water up there. It's a very difficult thing. Of course, you want to be by the river, don't you? It's beautiful. There's water. Your animals can get a drink. It is an easy-peasy life. Right outside Jerusalem or right up the road at Crescent, right? It's just beautiful. Y'all remember that this fall, right? I don't, I don't know what the folks in Crescent were thinking. They were probably thinking what we were thinking. Wouldn't it be nice to be by the river? I mean, this afternoon, wouldn't it be nice to be by the river? Stick your toes in. Relax. I don't know these people. I'm not trying to be mean. You hear that noise? Let that sink in on you. Get it? Ah. Now, out of Jesus' great love for you, he says, don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to you. That's, what, that's the way the world is. That's what people fall for. You go to the easiest, cheapest you know, rate you can find. You build there. And sooner or later, that's going to happen to you. Maybe not next week. Maybe not the week after. But in the rainy season, in the winter, when that stuff comes, that's what happens. So, so here's, here's the teaching, friends. What is easy is rarely safe or lasting. Isn't that true? Haven't you found that in your life? Right? What is, what is the easy way is rarely safe or lasting. Imagine going to a trainer because you're, you, know, you really know that you need some weight. You've been to the doctor. You actually heard his instructions. And he says, you know, you really you got to lose some weight. You got to do this thing. So you go to your trainer and your trainer says, hey, I got a deal for you. Wake up when you want to wake up. Work out when you want to or not. Eat what you want to or not. And the weight's just going to fly off of you. And that sounds great. But then you have to think, and probably not true. That's probably not how that works. And Jesus says, you're right. That's not how it works. Let me tell you how it really works. It can be difficult, but it brings you life. So last week, uh, Brandon taught us this. When we follow God's instructions, life is better. Uh, we looked at the Ten Commandments. Uh, This is in the context of God pulling the people of God through the Red Sea and then drowning the Pharaoh's army, right? This was God's special protection of the Jewish people over and against the Egyptian army. And that's how they understood that. And and it's really important that they they had been slaves for 400 years. They had no idea how to govern themselves. They they had no no idea what it meant to to manage others. So God says, well, let me help you. Here are some rules and boundaries and ditches that, that will help you live together as a people. And, and he put Moses and others in charge of helping them live out those rules and laws. And when they followed them, life was a lot better for them and saved their lives, really helped them. And then what we come to this week, some 1,300 years later, is astonishing when you think about it. Jesus places his own life and his own teaching as the revelation of God's will in place of the Torah. Now, Torah is another word for law, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All five books. If you look at your Bible, that's, that's pretty thick. And Jesus is now saying, what you're about to hear from me 
if you'll put them into practice, not if you just hear them, but if you put them into practice, will replace Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that is a major teaching. You can't, I mean, talk about a cliff note. I mean, that is, that is seriously a good deal. But you have to do it. So Jesus' teaching is this, and it, it, can, be, it can be a little tough. So the first thing he says in chapter 5 is this. He says, unless you do far better than just keeping the rules, you won't know anything about the love of God active in the world, which is really to build on what Pastor Brandon shared with us last week. It's, you've got to go beyond the Ten Commandments because it's about your heart. Um, Eugene Peterson translates it like this. He says, unless you do far better than the Pharisees, and now you remember Pharisees were a big deal in that culture. They knew the law forwards and backwards. Most of them had it memorized completely. And, and if somebody had a problem, they had to go to a Pharisee. You'll remember that Saul was a Pharisee before he became Paul. They knew about right living. But he says, even if, unless you can do better than that, which was the best they knew of, you won't know the first thing about entering the kingdom. Say, well, how can that be? Anybody here other than me watch Big Bang Theory? I mean, I love Big Bang. I love Sheldon. He's also because he's a rule follower, and he, he wants other people to follow the rules. Um, and he, he, he does it as well as anybody can do it. Uh, but it has some uh, shortcomings. Let's just call it like that. Uh, particularly when it comes to being in right relationship with your roommate. It might require a roommate agreement. He's got rules on rules, right? Maybe you've known somebody like that. Maybe you are somebody like that. And Jesus says it has its place, but it's got to go further than that. That's not going to be enough for you to have a full and enjoyable life. So Jesus says, here are some things that will absolutely save you from wrecking your life if you put them into practice. Number one, don't judge. Seriously, this is, this is the most important thing Jesus is saying. Don't judge. Don't do it. Don't do it. Why? Because, and the scripture says, do not judge so that you may not be judged. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Now, why is that? Why does he say it like that? Because it's true, right? A critical spirit has a way of boomeranging on you. Have any of you, husbands or wives out there, made the critical mistake of coming home while your other person was there and criticizing something about the home? Oh. Like I did it once, right? Because you know how that works. You say, well, the food's a little cold or the picture's off or, you know, pick whatever it is. And then it's on, isn't it? Because the next thing that comes at you, right, from, from your family is, oh, well, you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And when you said this, you didn't do that. And, you, and when nothing, oh, well, let's get to your work life. Okay, well, work life over here. Bah, 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 bah. And then your kids join in. And then they're like, oh, yeah, mom's right about that. And another thing and this and this and this. And before you know it, you were trying to correct one tiny little speck in your neighbor's eye. And you got whacked with a log by the whole family. Because that's how it works. Jesus isn't being mean. He's not being overly moral. He's not trying to give you this moral teaching. He's simply saying, this is the way it is. Isn't that true? I mean, go try it with your boss tomorrow. Don't. Like, don't do that. Right? Like, that's just not wise. And then Jesus says something that's really, really tough. I, I struggled with this for a long time because it, it just sounds weird. He says, do not give what is holy to dogs. I like dogs. Jesus likes dogs. He's not against dogs. And then he says, and do not throw your pearls before swine. 
Now, some scholars have tried to throw a lot of things around swine being not kosher and blah, blah, blah. Fine, that's not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is saying here is pigs don't wear pearls. Doesn't help them. And pearls are precious to you. So don't try to put your pearls on a pig because they're going to ruin them. It's not going to help them, and you're going to have your feelings hurt. And it might just make them so mad that they turn around and maul you. So what in the world? Like, what is Jesus saying? This, is, this was tricky. He's basically saying this. Don't give people things that they're not ready to receive or that aren't good for them. Right? There's some things that are dangerous, just not the right time. And so, for example, you don't give a four-year-old a Ferrari. Right? It's dangerous. It's bad for them, bad for your neighbors, bad for the car. Right? You don't do it. Now, we get that, and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, don't be dumb, blah, blah, blah. I'm amazed spiritually, emotionally, intellectually. We do this with people all the time. We have a little saying in our household, be harmless, not helpful. Say that with me. Be harmless, not helpful. Let me give you some examples. What will often happen to me is someone will call me, maybe they've called you, and they've got a problem in their life. And they say to you, they're lying, but they say to you, hey, I'd really like your opinion about what to do about X. That is a trap. Don't fall for it. You might say, well, what do you think you should do? Because here's the thing. If you don't read their mind exactly and tell them what they've already decided, you are screwed. You think I should marry him? No. He's terrible. Run. Are they going to listen to that? No. They're going to hate me and not come to church. So if you come to me for, you know, should I marry this person? I'll be like, I don't know. Have you asked your grandma? Yeah. Grandmas are pretty good judges of character. Grandma hates him. Probably ought to run. I think he's great. Right? Yeah. So does it make sense? People will often ask you things they don't want to know. Don't throw your wisdom to them. They will hate you for it. They will turn and maul you. You talk to kids about what it's like to be married. You're not doing that. You know? I mean, certainly not. Oh, yeah, after we had our fourth kid, this is what it was like. They're not listening to that. They don't want to know that. They want, to, they want you to bless their mess. That's what they're looking for. Can't do that. It's not honest. It's not good. It's not helpful. It won't hurt. It won't help them. So Jesus says, don't do that. Does this make sense? It's really important teaching. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to say something that sounds almost the opposite of this, so hang in. It's just a little nuance. Jesus does say this. Do ask for what you need and search for what you need and desire. He encourages us to do this. I find that Christians are often terrible about this. And, 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 and Jesus says, no, do that. Ask. Get out there. Work it. Ask, and it'll be given to you. Search, and you will find. Seek, and knock, and the door will be open for you. God wants to bless you. For everyone who receives, asks, receives. Everyone who searches, finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? No. He says, or if a child asks for a fish, will give a snake? No. No, he says, even, even bad people, right? Even then, you who are evil. Now, remember, he's just talking to uncommitted crowds. He doesn't know these folks. He says, even people that are bad people know how to give good gifts to their kids. And you've probably seen this, right? I mean, you, you've seen a boss or a colleague or whatever, and they are terrible at work. I mean, they're mean, and they'll fire people off a whim. But then somehow you fall into, like, vacation mode with them. You, you see them at vacation or out to dinner, and they're treating their daughter like a queen. And you're like, wow, that's amazing transformation. That dude treats his daughter like a queen, but you better not cross him at work. He'll kill you, right? 
And Jesus says, yes, I mean, even bad people know how to be good to their kids. God, who is a perfect father, you can expect much better from him. You can count on it. So he's basically, Jesus saying this, God is good. How often? All the time. And he's willing to help. Ask him. He loves you. Then Jesus says this, and everything do to others as you'd have them do to you. It's the golden rule. For this is the law and the prophets. Whoa, 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 whoa. The law and the prophets. That's the entire Old Testament, friends. The law and the prophets. So Jesus is basically saying this. If you will do to others as you would have them do to you, it covers all of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If you'll live your life that way, if you'll actually live it out, then it covers that. That is an amazing teaching. Eugene Peterson translates it this way. He says, here is a simple rule of thumb, a guide for your behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. Now, remember that harmless, not helpful deal? How do you do that with this? Well, you got to ask yourself. When I was 16, when I was 18, when I was 20 or whatever, would I have wanted that information or could I have heard it? And if the answer is no, then don't give it. But if the answer is yes, that would have actually helped me, then do. Does this make sense? Now, the admonition in the Jewish community before this was don't do bad stuff to people that you wouldn't have done to you. That's basically how they knew it. That was what was in the culture. And Jesus flipped it into a positive. This is a lot harder, by the way. Right? It's pretty easy not to hurt people, um, we hope. The first rule of Methodism, by the way, is do no harm. Say that with me. Do no harm. That is the rule of Methodism. Jesus is actually upping the ante here and says, not only are we not to harm people, we're actually do good for them. Things that would have blessed us. Food, clothing, shelter, friendship, forgiveness, all that good stuff. And it's when we do this, when we go beyond the rule and we start acting in love, that real relationship, wonderful things can begin to happen. Let's take a look. If you know that show, that is very difficult for him to do. He really struggles with that sort of thing. But he, he did it out of love, and it really changed the relationship, and it was a blessing. And it's possible for us, too. There are six really, really important words in every person's life. I am sorry, and I forgive you. If we can't do those six words, we're going to have a very difficult life. I'm sorry, I forgive you. If I hadn't been the friend that you needed me to be, I'm sorry. And I love you. So Jesus' teaching is this. Don't take the easy way out. You can do hard things, particularly because the God of life lives in you. You can do hard things, and the Christian life can be super difficult. The, the Scripture says it like this. Enter through the narrow gate, right? Because there's another gate. It's wide, and the road's easy that leads to destruction. Lots of folks take it. But then Jesus says this. The gate is what? Narrow, and the road is what? 
hard. That leads to life. Is that true? Yes, it's true. And there are few who find it. There are few who find it. And that's why we're drawn to these people. When they have a life that's worth living, a a life that glows, a radiant life in Christ, it's because they know Christ. And it takes time, it takes energy, it takes resources to live into that. And so Jesus then tells us this. He says, look at people's actions over time. Not just the last day or two or just the week, but really look at their life's work. Not their words. It doesn't matter what they say. People may not believe what you say. They will believe what you do. Isn't that true? Look at their life. So Jesus says it like this. Beware false prophets. Unfortunately, he's talking about people like me, preachers who speak about religious things for a living. He says, don't fall for what Mark says. Look at his life. Now, that's kind of weighty to me, to be fair. But that's what the scripture says. Anybody who dares to teach you, don't listen to what they say so much as look at their life. Look at their life. What do they do? Because, he says, they're going to come to you in sheep's clothing. Lots of people want you to do stuff. Sheep's clothing is a metaphor for people in religious community. Sheep are the people of religious faith. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their what? Fruits, which is action, by the way. It's their life. That's how you know it. Are grapes gathered from thorns? No. Fish from thistles? No. In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, right? So look for good fruit. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown in the fire. Thus you will know them by their, say it with me, fruits, their actions, their life. That's what you look for. So why is this important? Because that's what God judges us on as well. It's not what we say. It's not what we post. It's not what we put on social. It's not what I say up here. That's how I live my life at home and with you. God looks at our life, not our words. Jesus goes even further so we don't miss it. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven, who actually does the stuff. On that day, now that is code in the Bible for judgment day. When you are dead and raised and you're looking at Jesus face to face. When Jesus comes and you're having to account for your life. Now, some of you are Methodist. You've never heard this stuff before, right? This is in other traditions like Baptist traditions and other traditions where they actually talk about judgment day. But here's the thing, friends. Jesus himself, our master, savior, Lord, he talks about it. And he says, on that day, we've got to live this day for that day. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, preach, cast out demons in your name, do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away, evildoers, because he's looking at our life. You can't fool Jesus, super smart, knows everything, right? So Jesus' promise, though, is this. If we hear and we act on these things that we find in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we're wise. We'll live like wise. And there are all sorts of wonderful benefits that come from the wisdom of God. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, floods came, winds blew, beat on that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on rock. So the difference between the wise and the foolish, friends, is not intellect, right? Jesus isn't being pejorative uh, around a low intellect, not at all. He's talking about the inside of those of any intellect that can understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that he loves you. He loves them. He loves you, loves all his children. And all you have to do is follow. He says, follow me. That's what Jesus calls us to. But then, sometimes people think, well, no, no, I said the sinner's prayer when I was five, and it's all good. No, Jesus says that's not true. He says, Jesus' warning is this. If we hear and we don't act, 
We're, we're not acting. We're not following in him. We're not doing the things that he tells us to do. We're, we're not learning the scriptures and living into him. Trouble will come. Now, he's not necessarily talking about heaven and hell in that sense. Although, remember, we're actively working on our eternity today because we're a part of it. The thing is, just like the river, if you build too close to the river, it's going to get you over time. And if you don't pay attention to the things Jesus says you ought to pay attention to, your relationships will fall apart with God and with other people. It just is the case. So Jesus says it like this. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be what? Foolish. Don't be a weenie. Right? That's what he's saying. I mean, it, like, we're not made to be hot dogs. Don't listen to the things the world tells you. That's dumb. You're, you're much more than that. You're, mu- you're loved much greater than that. He says, because if you don't, you're, you're going to be like somebody who builds on a house of sand. The rain falls, floods come, winds blow, beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, if you're over about 12, you've already lived this once at least. You've made some bad choices. You didn't do the things that Jesus said to do, and your life fell apart. It happens. And Jesus is trying to keep that from happening to us, so he's telling us how to live. He says, so if you use just my words in Bible studies, you don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach. And when the storm rolls in, the waves come up, it's going to collapse. That's just true. He's not being mean about it. He's just telling you the way the world actually works, the way the kingdom of God actually works. So when Jesus concluded his address, the crowds burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything. He was living it, friends. Everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard, which is where we're taking the next sermon series from. The best teaching they had ever heard because he lived it, because he was who he said he was. He was congruent in what he said and what he did. He was faithful to God. And it's so important, friends, because here's the truth about you and about me. You and I are becoming who we will be forever. Forever. It's a really important question. Are you becoming more loving? Are you becoming more interested in the things of Jesus and the things of God? Because here's the thing about heaven. God's there all the time. All the time. God is there. And, and if you're living in your life today in a way that you don't want to be around God, you're not interested in the things of God, you don't have anything to do with God, you're going to be super uncomfortable. So the question is, as we live our life, are we becoming more and more interested and more and more alive in the things of God and of Christ? I hope so. That's, that's what this is about. This is practice for heaven. That we get to forgive one another and love one another and bless one another, encourage one another and, and be filled with the fruits of the Spirit of peace, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all these things. And the more they become in our life, the more fitted we are for heaven. So here's some action steps that we can try. One, I know I did this a few weeks ago. I'm doing it again because I don't think it's taken yet. I want us to actually read a scripture before we go into our work day. Right? Even, even if it's just a scripture, just a chapter, you could read Matthew chapter 7. Because um, there's a lot in there that we covered today. And go, huh, wow, there's a lot there. And then pick up your phone. Because I want you to know first that God loves you, God blesses you, and he's wild about you. I want you to have the best life possible. Because if you're like me, when I pick up my phone and I look at my email, it's not full of accolades about people telling me how great I am. Is yours? No. Normally, I've got 26 messages from people who need something from me. And most of them sooner than later. Isn't that true in your world? So when you wake up, wouldn't you rather... Put that in the lens of God and his love and grace for you rather than the other way around. We have to start the foundation with God and build on that. Secondly, it won't surprise you, sign up to attend volunteer Bible school. Get your t-shirt, 
have fun. It's great. It's wonderful. It'll bless you. I hope you'll do it. It's one of the greatest things we do all year. And then finally, this, this seems a little confusing, but hang with me. I don't want you to do what Jesus did. Right? I don't expect anybody in the room to turn water to wine. It is a cool party trick. I'll give you that. But I don't expect that from you. What God ex- and God doesn't either. What God expects is that we become like Jesus was. Filled with love, filled with grace. Where we bless people, we encourage people, we care for one another. Does this make sense? So our job is to become like Jesus was, not to do the things that he did exactly in the same way, same form. Amen? And I want you to know this. You can do it. You can do it. Because the world is desperate for people who are doing it. Who actually are living the love of Christ. Because there's a whole bunch of people in Edmond right now that don't even think this is possible. They can't imagine forgiving people. They can't imagine living a life without judgment. They can't imagine actually living into the full kingdom life that Christ has for us. It's important that somebody somewhere out there is is living it out. Because it will absolutely change the world. Amen?